This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. Good morning. I think most of you know me, but just in case you don't, my name's Paula. Um, that's it. I live in Coventry. <laughs> Hi. Um, yeah, so over the summer we're talking about, we've been given the sermon series Simply Jesus, which I think is code for preach whatever you want. <laughs> it's not, but um, so a, li- a little while ago, uh, Matthew asked a few of us to pick like a few verses in the Bible that talk about Jesus and just explore it and talk about it to people. Um, and so I have shared this with a couple of people. So if you've heard it before, just nod and smile and just pretend you haven't. Um, but I've added a few things. And so it sounded like a pretty straightforward, simple task. So I picked this five verses in Colossians to read and to talk about Jesus and explore what that was all about. And it sounded really straightforward. And then I looked into it and it was not straightforward at all. It just, it went from five verses and it just exploded (laughs) um, into this like really cool adventure of like delving into the word and delving into Jesus And that's what the word does. When you take time to do that, that's what it does. And when you take time to seek Jesus and like seek simply Jesus, it's not always really that simple because there's so many beautiful things to discover. And so in just five verses, here's what I find. I find some really profound truth about Jesus. I discovered poetry and art and singing and mystery. I had an English lesson and a history lesson. I learned about political activism and I learned about worship. And that was in five small verses. So good luck. <laughs> um, <laughs> keeping track of what I'm trying to say. Um, so yeah, I'm going to look at, look at that and just like unpick a bit of that with you, what I discovered and, and how amazing it was to learn these things about Jesus. But also parallel to that, I just want us to be struck by the truth that when we seek out Jesus, we are met with the same experience that I had in just five verses, that we are met with so much more than the thing that we think we're about to find. And that's, that's what I want to like carry with us as we explore all that, that when we seek Jesus, we get so much revelation, so much truth. And when we seek the word, that's what we get to. We get, there's so much layers and mystery to it. And yeah, I just thought it was really beautiful. So the verses I picked were in Colossians 1, specifically verses 15 to 20. Um, And it was titled The Supremacy of the Son of God. But this is what it says. The Son is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once, this is, I'm not going to read that. That's moving on to the next bit. Ignore me. Um, you can carry on reading if you want. 
Um, so when I first read this, I got to be honest, it just was like a Bible verse. Didn't it was lovely. It was fine. I didn't really know what it was talking about. I didn't really understand it. Um, I was like, yeah, I could probably, I could probably talk about Jesus by reading this. It was fine. Um, but it didn't really like jump out to me or, or click with me. And then, so I went away and I did some reading and I learned about this Bible verse, which by the way, if that sounds intimidating and that sounds like, oh, but I, I'm not good at that. I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not like good at reading or I'm not, you know, good at theology. Neither am I. <laughs> um, and just to like encourage you that this was really fun to learn all these things and this wasn't intimidating and scary and it, I didn't need to go to Bible college to learn it. And sometimes you do and sometimes God puts teachers and like wonderfully educated people in place to teach us things that we maybe couldn't otherwise learn. But also he puts things that are like just little clues and little things to unpick that are accessible to everyone. So like don't hear this and be like, oh, I, I couldn't do that. That's not for me that's not true. It's not for me. I've not been trained in this. Um, it just took me a little bit of like prompting from Jesus to like go and find things and, um, discover this just if that encourages you. Um, so I went away and I discovered that this, these whole five verses were actually a poem written in a whole different style than the rest of the letter. Or in fact, it wasn't just a poem. It was a hymn. Most people think, um, so it would have, it was kind of separate from the rest of the letter. I'll tell you about the rest of the letter in a minute. But that's when everything started to click for me. I'm like, oh, that's why it feels different. That's why it feels unusual. And the rhythm is different. And why is that? What is that? And it was this like, I felt like all these things I was reading was fully truth, but yet it was this mystery. I was like, but what does this even mean? What am I reading? What does it mean? He's the firstborn. What does it mean? He was in all things and for all things. And, and when I discovered that it was a poem, something in my body was like, oh, Oh, that's really cool. That makes sense now. And like, my brain just wasn't catching up. And, um, I'm going to read a quote. When John and I were at this church in London every week, they used to do a quote that wasn't from the Bible, but was like from someone in like pop culture or like, um, and it was to try and appeal to new people coming. And every week they'd have a big picture of someone famous with their quote. And we'd like have little snigger at ourselves. We're like, oh, who's got the quote going to be this week? So now I'm that person doing like a quote from someone famous. <laughs> anyway, this quote is actually from T.S. Eliot, who's a famous poet. And they said, genuine poetry can communicate before it's understood. So I don't know if you've ever experienced that. If you've read something, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Well, what does it mean? I don't know. I just, I just know that it makes sense. So there's this like mystery and beauty in art and poetry that God uses, that the authors of the Bible used as this beautiful tool to communicate something so much more than just words on a page, so much more than just a letter. And and sometimes we don't fully understand it and we need someone like an English teacher <laughs> or someone or a teacher to like unpick it and be like, this is what they meant. And this is why it's so beautiful. And this is what the metaphors mean. Um, so it's so powerful. And they, those things can communicate, not just poetry, but music. This was something that was sung by people. It was a hymn that they sung and they knew. And as you know, and as we experience, there's something really beautiful and powerful in that when we sing words about Jesus. So Paul, who wrote this letter to the Colossians, he used hymns and poems in his writings actually a little, quite a bit. And sometimes they were things that were written before and was a well-known song that the early Christians would have sung in their gatherings. And sometimes he wrote it himself, which people think that this one that I'm about to talk about is 
he wrote it himself. But a lot of the times he was using other songs and other hymns in his letters that people knew well. It was about them knowing it and they could understand it. Um, So when you read it in English, it doesn't really translate very well as a poem. But when you read it in Greek, there's this rhythm to it. There's this rhyme to it that makes sense. It sounds like a poem. So if it doesn't really sound like a poem to you right now, I know that in Greek it was very beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. So as long as this is not too boring to you, I'm going to do like a little mini English lesson. I did English Lit in school and I really liked it. So I'm sorry if you don't like it, but this would be the moment when you get your poems out and you have your highlighters and you like highlight the metaphors and the rhyming couplets and the like all of that. And I quite liked that. I'm very sorry if someone will give you a math lesson after if you don't like it. Anyway, so this is what I, I got really excited about this. I was like, oh, cool. So context, I'm sure the English teacher would start with like a bit of context about when it was written and who the author was. So I'll just do that. So this is written by Paul who you know and at the time he was in prison and he was writing this church this church he's writing this letter to the church in Colossae and he the church he didn't start it it was planted by his co-worker Epaphras and Epaphras had just visited him in prison and he was telling him how the church was doing so it was doing really well but he was also saying some of the people are starting to feel tempted to turn away from Jesus because there was a lot of cultural pressure Uh, A lot of things going on and they were starting to like look elsewhere and get a bit distracted. And so Paul wanted to write to them and encourage them about all the great things he was hearing, but also challenge them to continue to put their love in Jesus and put their love for Jesus above everything else and turn away from this distraction. So that's what he was doing when he was writing the whole of the letter. He wanted their faithfulness in God to continue. Um, and he knew the best way to do that wasn't to just command the people and say, do this, do that. Uh, but he knew that it was to remind them of the beauty and the profound love of Jesus. And for him, the best way to do that was to share this poem and this hymn that he knew people knew well. And it was just, it's just all about the majesty and the beauty of Jesus. And he knew by sharing this thing that's like beyond just words, that is mystery and his art and his beauty, it will remind people of their first love and their the thing that should call them back and draw them back. Um, and he also knew that there was like power in, in declaration. This was something that people sang out loud, they said out loud. And he knew that there's also this mystery when we declare truth. Even if we don't know it in our brains, why why it's powerful. It is. We know that that's truth in scripture. We see time and time again. And he knew that by them saying this and declaring this, it would draw them back away from the things that were distracting them and remind them this hymn in particular talks about how Jesus is exalted above everything else. That's what he was doing. He's very clever. So a bit of the political context, if anyone likes that. At the time, the people were living under the Roman Empire. I'm just going to put that down. <laughs> and in the Roman Empire, they would have been really used to this idea of singing hymns and songs that promoted the Roman ideology of the time and the Roman emperor. They were used to singing hymns to whoever was in charge. And the Roman emperor was viewed as this divinely appointed, almost godlike figure, saviour figure. They would have been really used to this concept. It wasn't foreign to them. Um, maybe people who don't go to church aren't used to singing hymns, but that wasn't the case at the time. People were very used to this concept. Um, Paul did something really clever because they think he wrote this hymn. He began to mimic the songs and the type of lyrics and the structure that people were used to singing about the emperor. And he made it about Jesus. 
And he flipped that thing that people use to worship something else and he brought it back and he re-angled it and he readjusted it and refocused it and made it about Jesus. And there's lots of similar statements that theologians look at and be like, people said this about the emperor and now saying this about Jesus. But it was more than just a clever tool. This was an extremely bold political statement of resistance. People took something that was used to praise something else and someone else who wasn't God And they were saying, no, this is about me saying nothing or no one comes before him. He is my highest priority and he is the thing I choose to worship. Far above culture, far above what the external pressures are telling me. So it wasn't just this lovely poem. It was this, these people were being really bold and he co-opted this thing of the world and reframed it and gave it this different, better view of reality. And I love that In in its very nature, singing this song about Jesus was political, it was cultural rebellion and resistance and if you know me that kind of makes me excited like a little bit of like I secretly want to be like an anarchist but we're not going to get into that (laughs) that's a whole different sermon anyway I thought that was kind of cool if you like that um all right so this is the bit in the English lesson where like you get into the structure um Sorry if that's, again, not going to say sorry if it's boring. It's not boring. It's really exciting. Um, so this was, this hymn, this five verses was broken into two sections or two verses. And the first bit looks at Jesus as the creator or the agent in creation, all about how he, he started everything. And then the second bit looks at now Jesus is the head of the new creation. He reconciles all things and bring all things back to the creator. So it's the very beginning and then like the very end. It's two verses. So verse 15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So just to like very preface everything, it's saying the Son is the image of the invisible God. So everything we learn about Jesus in this hymn, in this song, is telling us something about the Father. And that's true of all of Scripture. Everything we learn about Jesus, see him do, hear him say, that reveals something about the nature of God. So anything, when I say Jesus is this, or he is like this, it's also saying this is the whole nature of God. It's who he is. Great way to start a poem. Good reminder. And it says, he is the firstborn over all creation. So for us, the firstborn is whoever's born first in your family. But to the people who were hearing it back at the time, this was like very prominent language. It was very important language. Um, on a practical level, if you were firstborn, you got all the inheritance. You carried all the family line. It was all about status. Um, and you stood out among all your siblings. You were sort of more important than all your siblings. Um, so it, it doesn't mean that Jesus was the firstborn of multiple children of God, literally. Um, but it does mean that he stood out from all of creation. He was the standout out of everything that was made. Um, he is the first, the firstborn is like, it's well-known uh, like imagery in the Hebrew Bible. And you'll see it through all kinds of stories and, um, talking about the people of Israel and all kinds of things. Um, but it was the one who gained this, it was, he gained the same status, the same inheritance as his father. He was the same status as his father. Um, and it was all about Jesus's right to rule all of creation. And again, when you think about people were thinking that this might have been about the emperor and how godly he was and his right to rule. This is about Jesus meaning so much more than that. Not just a small part of a geographical place, but Jesus was ruler of all creation. This had a lot of meaning to the people. 
um, for in him, verse 16, for in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So again, um, the writing that Paul was talking about when he was writing this, it, he would have used the word. Uh, it's clear that he's talking about the word or the person Yahweh, which would have meant a lot more to the people at the time, but it meant the one God who made creation. That was a very familiar concept to them. But here Paul is saying that Yahweh is, or that, I'm trying to get this right because it's a lot of funny words. He's saying that it was the son, the firstborn, who was the one that made creation and is comparing Yahweh, who they knew to make creation, also as Jesus. And he's, he's showing us that Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God. Um, and again, that might seem really basic to us, but for the people at the time singing this, that was a huge thing. The, the God they knew to make creation, he's saying Jesus is God. This is who Jesus is. This is a person you've known all along. He was there in the very beginning with God, through God. They are one. And that was a huge revelation. Uh, through him and for him. Again, it's supposed to sound better in Greek, but to us it still sounds pretty cool. Um, so not only was the universe made through Christ, but the whole purpose of the universe is for Christ. Um, he is not only the agent of creation, but he was the goal of all of creation. It was made for him. Um, and so Paul is using all this Genesis 1 imagery. This is where you get your little highlighter and you do a little arrow, like Genesis 1. Um, he's, using, he's talking about image and heaven and earth, and it reminds us of Genesis 1, where it talks about the creation story. And he wants people to remember, to think about the creation story in a new way, that Jesus was always there creating it and it was created for him everything is ultimately about him so my response to that when I hear that is that that gives me so much purpose that gives me so much purpose the goal of the whole universe is to center Christ the whole universe therefore that's my goal too (laughs) and it just it brings me into this like beautiful place of peace knowing what I'm made for and knowing that I'm a part of this beautiful, huge story long before I existed. That the goal is, the goal of everything beautiful that we see, of everything incredible and far beyond what we can understand, is for Jesus. And that's what I, my purpose is too. And that brings me so much life. To know, I'm sure you know this feeling that when you walk around and you're like, I know, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be in this day or in this season of my life. And it feels so good, doesn't it? To just... To feel like I'm living full of purpose and I'm not walking around aimlessly. And that's what hearing this thing about Jesus brings that to me and reveals that to me. But it also calls me to seek his voice so much more clearly. Because it's easy to say, well, your your purpose in life is just to center Jesus. Off you go, see you later. That, that doesn't really help us very much on the day to day. But what it does is, is call us to hear his voice more clearly, to seek his voice more clearly and say, okay, Jesus, what does that mean for me? How do I center you in my life? How do I put you first to purposely live for you, to live, to glorify you in the way that the universe was made to do? How do I do that? And it calls me to just listen closely because that is that looks different for all of us. And that requires us to be good listeners and it requires us to live every day hearing his voice and seeking his voice so that we can step out and say, I feel full of purpose today. I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm 
doing the thing that we were all made to do because I've heard his voice and I've been obedient. And that's just one verse and that's what it calls me to do. It's pretty cool. Okay, verse 17 says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So he was before. We keep saying he was he was there before creation. He's not an afterthought after all things were made. Creation was made to glorify Jesus. And actually what is a really interesting thought is it has nothing to do with the fact that he saved us from sin. Do you know that if we never sinned, he would it would still all be about him. It's not obviously it's I'm not taking away from the incredible work that he did. But you know what? If he didn't need to do that, it would still all be about him. Everything would still all be about him before everything, before anything ever happened, before we did anything wrong. It was still all about him. Um, so all things held together. It says in him, in him, all things are held together. And I love this line. Um, if I just need to like speak peace to myself. It's such a beautiful, powerful thing to say. In him, all things hold together. He holds all things together simply by declaring that brings me peace. And, and the thing about poems is, or songs, is they make you feel things. They they stir up emotion. And that you can think that that's a scary thing and you want to run from. But also, Paul knew that. Paul knew poetry and art and songs make you feel things. And it's okay to feel like, oh, this is beautiful. And this is so true. And this stirs up something in me. And it brings me peace. That I can sing it or declare it and say, I I know that all things are held together by him. Um, so even now, he's keeping all things together. It's not just about that he created something. It's that constantly he is sustaining things. It doesn't stop. Um, my very life, my very existence, my very breath, your very breath is sustained by Jesus. And my response is just to say, you're so worthy, Jesus. You're so worthy. All of my praise and all of my life belongs to you because you hold it all together. Um, I think this is maybe the best place to share this, but I just wanted to share briefly like a bit of testimony about my experience in the last few years. And I know that I think I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this, but then when I talk to people individually, I feel like a lot of people have had the same experience. Um, but over lockdown and the pandemic back in 2020, summer 2020, I had a really not very nice faith crisis. I don't know how to describe it, but it wasn't a sense of apathy. I didn't just like walk away. I just had a series of things happen to me that left me being like, oh, I don't know if I can say God is real. <laughs> and I was pretty devastated because it was my entire life and my entire identity and just kind of crumbled away in about two days and I just would cry every day and wake up being like if I can just believe in Jesus today that will be that'll be pretty good that'll be a good day not sure if I can <laughs> I don't know I just I just felt completely lost and 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 I, I didn't know what to do I didn't know where to go I didn't know what to do next because it was the only thing that I knew in my whole life um but the thing that eventually over time drew me back was firstly looking into just the practicality and the truth and the history of Jesus, that he really was, a, historians agree that he really was a person that walked about. It wasn't just whether you believe he said what he says is true. He really did walk on earth and he really did do some of the things that he said and he really did die. So I was able to like hold on to that for a bit and I was like, okay, well, 
there was a person called Jesus and he really did exist somewhere. People seem to believe that. And I just began to like start from the bottom again. <laughs> and I just began to learn more about Jesus in the same way that I like did this. I was kind of obsessed with like, I have, I have to find something that gives me a sense of life again. I have to try and understand if this is true or if my whole life has been based on a lie. And I kind of like became a bit obsessed with like learning things about Jesus. So it sounds like a terrible thing, but I think God knew what he was doing. <laughs> um, and I just began to like read about a lot of the things that Jesus said and how they came true and, and just a lot about the factual truth about Jesus um, that didn't have any narrative put on it or it was just facts about real things that happened and, and Jesus said this. There's a lot of written record that he said this. People agree. And this thing in history really happened. Um, and stuff like that. And over time I just began to build it up again and was like, yeah, this this person called Jesus. I I think he's true. He's true. And I, I really do actually think that I believe it and that I haven't been kidding myself my whole life. And it began to build up over time and, and eventually it became to a point and I would read all the things that he said and read about his life and be like, wow, if this is true, this is, he is a really wonderful person at the very least. Um, and it aligned with a lot of the things that I felt about life and a lot about the way I think people should be treated and the way that we should look at things. And, and eventually I started to believe those things. And then I was like, well, he also says he is God. Do I believe that? And over time again, I was like, yeah, I really do believe that. And I know this sounds very dramatic, but it also was very dramatic. And if you talk to me in that time, I only cried to you. <laughs> I remember talking to Matthew on the phone and he said, how are you? And I was just like, and I couldn't talk for five minutes. I was just, it was one of those seasons in life where I just felt very broken. And if it sounds dramatic, it probably was. Um, and so over time, these things began to build up. And I just, I really did believe what he said. I really believed that this person who lived in history said what he was, was true, that he really was God. And as I looked at his life and all of the things that he said, I, I one day just had to come to a decision. And I was like, I believe that it's true. And do you know what else I believe? I believe that if it is true, he is worthy of my whole life. He is so worthy of my whole life. And at this point, nothing else matters. <laughs> and I've made my decision now, and I'd made it before, but I was like, this is it. And doubts will come and go, but I've taken a long time to think about this, months and months. And this is true. And I really believe it. And therefore, he deserves my whole life. And now I need to move forward and and give him that and give him the praise that he deserves and give him my whole life. Um, and that's what happened when I sought simply Jesus. That's what happened. It was so, so powerful. Um, yeah, there's a lot more I could tell you about that, but you can ask me one day. But yeah, that, so that's, that's the truth about Jesus is, and that's his promise is that when you seek him, you will find him. When you seek truth, you will find truth. Um, so again, yeah, that was just one verse. <laughs> um, yeah, there's probably a lot more things. I'm trying to like find the most important things to say. There's a lot more things I could tell in that story. And that was a really brief synopsis. But just know that when you seek Jesus, you find him. Okay, so then we're into the second section of the poem. 
you'd probably do this on the next English lesson or whatever. Um, so we're in verse two now. So he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. So in, again, in your English lesson, you get a little like highlighter and you'd be like, there's that word firstborn again. That's a mirror reflection from verse one. But what's it about this time? And stuff like that. English teachers know better words than me. Um, uh, so here he, he's talking about how Jesus has now gone through death. And now he is the first in the new creation too. And he is showing us how we can now live. He's bringing us in to this new life that he has for us. Again, so much more you can unpack in that, but I've got limited time. It's very, it's a great thing. Um, he is also head of the church. He not only has authority, all that authority that we were talking about in the first in the first verse about he is so worthy of my life. He is greater than the Roman Empire emperor. He is worthy. He is in charge. He's also head of the church. And so not only do we have this personal responsibility to respond to Jesus, we as a collective have this responsibility to respond together and to grow together. And it draws us together as a body and as a group, because that is important as well to put him in the rightful place in our lives, but also as this group, as this church, as this body, not just us universally, but us specifically in this room for right now. Um, and it also holds, this verse holds this mystery about how Jesus is both God there in creation, but he was also the very first new human example of what a new human life can be like. And again, it's this mystery in art and mystery in poetry that it can talk about both things and both things are true. Um, and we're kind of just supposed to be in awe. Sometimes we're not necessarily supposed to get it right now in our heads. He's How is he God in creation? But how is he also a human example of how I can live? He is. And that's just how it works. <laughs> um, verse 19 said, For God was pleased to have him dwell, have all his fullness dwell in him. God dwells in Jesus. He lives in him. And um, so Paul would have written this and he would have been thinking about that tabernacle imagery that the people were used to the people who knew the story of the bible were used to that's the place where god dwelt he lived it was extremely important to them but now jesus had come as the new temple the new place where god dwells um and again as an example to us if if we follow in the footsteps of jesus and he is this example of a new human new life through the new creation that we can step into then he also dwells in us um Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Um, so at the start of this poem, it was through Jesus that everything was created. And now it's through Jesus that everything is being reconciled and recreated. Everything through him in both circumstances. There's that like poetic mirroring thing. It's very beautiful. Um, so with the power that he, the same power that he used to create everything, he makes us new. And that's, that's really powerful. And again, one of those things is very, very hard to wrap our head around. When you look at the complexity of life and creation and how all these things, huge and small, unfold, that's the same power that he uses, not only to make us, but to make us new every day, to redeem us, to restore us. It's the same Jesus, the same Jesus and the same power and the same authority that he uses. And that's 
that's how powerful the work on the cross was. Um, that's how significant it was. The same power used to make the entire universe. Um, so when we see that God renews through Christ, we learn more about that God is a renewing God. That's his heart for us. That's what he wants for us. He wants all things to constantly be made new, to be renewed, to be brought into him through Jesus. Um, and that just, it shows us so much beauty about the Father. That every day he wants to renew and restore and man make whole. That's who he is. Um, and again, that's the thing. That's the reason that it's in here is to cause us to be like, wow, that's so beautiful. This is why I'm singing. This is why I'm giving my praise. Um, and there's just, there's so much in just these few verses that do that. Um, all things reconciled. So even the nations against him, the things that are against him, even those things will one day turn to Jesus and be reconciled. And my response to that is so much peace, so much peace. I probably like a lot of you feel a lot of turmoil, <laughs> feel it's like, feel it in my body. I look at things and I just, I feel hopeless all the time when I feel so conflicted and angry. I feel angry so much of the time and so confused. And, and I don't want this to diminish the feelings of we need to be agents of Jesus in this world and we need to be agents of restoration. I don't want this to take away and be like, well, Jesus is going to reconcile everything. So just chill out. It's fine. I don't want that to take away from the feeling that we are called to also be agents of restoration and reconciliation. But I also, for myself, <laughs> need to remind myself, it's okay to sit in peace. It's okay to have those feelings as long as I sit in this peace, that all things will be reconciled through Christ, that he will bring all of those things together. And this poem is optimistic. It's not supposed to be extremely scary and sad and that all things are terrible it's it's an optimistic poem that gives us so much peace and I'm that's what I I'm trying to like deal with at the minute if anyone else is it'd be good to chat but dealing with sitting in the peace of Jesus that he restores all things even though I don't see it right now <laughs> and I feel pain for people and I feel pain for situations that seem very hopeless and no one is listening and no one's changing why is this happening but I know that he he cares too his whole purpose is about restoring those things and bringing them to him even nations that are against him so yeah sitting in those two things is a challenge so that's the end of those just five verses um and so I just it reminds me it reminds me of a lot of things and it uh, there's a lot of conclusions you can draw from it. But the biggest thing I would say is go and read it. Go and learn about these other poems and hymns that Paul used and like find out why they're so amazing as well. Um, but it really makes sense when you read these five verses and break them down. It makes sense why Paul used song, why he used poetry. Because sometimes there isn't any other language adequate to describe Jesus. Sometimes you need something higher than ourselves, something additional to writing a letter something additional to just speaking words that is this god-given gift like art and music and poetry is and so many things not just those things but they're a, a gift to us that help us describe jesus and like lift lift those things and like communicate them to other people they're a tool they're a beautiful tool and they there's so much joy in using them and the purpose of poetry and song is to to sit in it it helps us memorize it when we have repetition and rhyme and, and music to it 
we probably can remember a lot of like song lyrics that we sing that are biblical, that are like from the scripture than we would if we just recited a quote from the Bible. I know that that's a good tool for me. And Paul knew that. He knew that this tool would help people remember it, to sit in it, to ponder it when they're doing something else in their day-to-day life, to like have it humming over in their head and like reflect on the truth about who Jesus is. It communicates so much more than just the words. There's so much truth in that. And if you are, I know there's people who really are passionate about songwriting or writing or, or drawing. If you feel like you are, you have that, you need that outlet in life. It's something that I need to do more too. And I can encourage myself that take time to use it. Prioritize those things. Prioritize using the things that you love and you enjoy to create something that brings praise and brings worship. It's not a distraction from Jesus. It's a tool that we can use to add and to like encourage and strengthen ourselves and strengthen other people. Um, and so Paul had seen truth about who Jesus was and his response was to sing, to put in this song and to encourage people to sing. And at its core, that is what worship is. Not just a song, but response. I've seen Jesus and this is what... I have to do about it. This is what I have to say or sing or do or think or feel or move in. That is, that is the core of what worship is. It's this overflow of, I have seen Jesus and I have to respond. And sometimes that is a song and it's not always, but sometimes it is. And in this case it was. And, um, it's just saying, I can't stay silent any longer. I have seen something so beautiful and so true and it now overflows. And, and that's what our, that's what worship is. And um, it also lets us know how early Christians worshipped. There's something really, really beautiful about saying these words and thinking that the very, very first people that heard about Jesus on earth sung these words. This was what they did when they gathered on a Saturday or a Sunday. They sung these things. And I'm still part of that body. I'm still part of those people who very, very first like witnessed Jesus on earth. And so it even like it predates just these letters that were written it was around before then a lot of these poems are around before then so it lets us know like what they were saying about Jesus and it's still true and it just gives us it also reminds us that when they sung they also did it as this alternative to what they were hearing in the world it was okay for them to hear the context of the world and sing against it and it was okay that they did that in their song and so, yeah, a lot of conclusions you could draw. But the point is to hear this poem, to sit in it, and to be in awe, and to begin to understand the gravity of Jesus' lordship over our lives, to stir us to worship, to stir us to respond, whether that's singing or changing your actions or adjusting your life somehow, whatever that is, that response to the beauty of who he is, is worship. And that's the whole point of it, is to stir us to worship, to stir us to be in awe. It gives us new sight to see who God is. And it just causes me to be more in love. It causes me to be more in love. And it caused this type of verse and this type of truth about Jesus caused me to turn away, leave that period of my life where I was like, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I don't know what I even think is true. And say, but I believe this is true. And I've seen this about Jesus. And therefore, my life's going to be different from this point onwards. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of Paul using this amazing tool. My notes say, write more here. So 
That's really helpful. Thanks, Paula. Um, I guess, yeah. <laughs> the ultimate truth is what I started with. When you seek out Jesus, when you seek out his word, when you seek truth, you will find so much more than five written verses. You will find so much more than who you think Jesus is. You will find so much truth, so much purpose, so much power and beauty and so much awe when you take time to seek out Jesus. And while the series is called Simply Jesus, I've never found it to be that simple. <laughs> I find it to just be so beautiful and like unfolding and um, yeah, I'll just pray for us. Thank you so much, Jesus, that what you say is true, that when we seek you, we find you, that when we seek truth, we find you, that when we seek out your word, we see you, we see you, Jesus, and we see how you reveal the Father. I thank you that there's so much beauty in what you say, in the majesty of your word and the truth of it, that we can look at it forever and always be discovering more about who you are. It always unpacks new things and you always reveal new things to us. And Lord, we look at this, we look at this truth about you, Jesus, and we say we are in awe. Jesus, you deserve our whole life. You deserve our worship. That from this moment, things are different because I know that you are worthy. We know that you are worthy and that's how we move forward. We know that you are above all things that you are higher than any other ruler or authority or anything in culture or our lives that seek to distract us. Jesus, you are higher and we choose to put you in that position. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've revealed to us. And I just ask that um, you give us things in our heart to take away and ponder on and be stirred on and to be moved on and changed on. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.